So we're continuing on in Philippians. Um, good to see y'all this morning. Missed y'all last week. So, um, Philippians chapter one, looking at twelve through eighteen. The uh, I, w- I would encourage you. I was thinking about this. Um, every week, read the whole book. So just just read through the letter. Um, it's not that long. Uh, it. For, for those of us studying, I mean, it's something we do um, just to catch your passage in the context, uh, read it through, and don't, don't dwell on one passage alone uh, as we're studying, but read through the whole passage and then go back and you can look at that passage, obviously, and dwell on it, but, but read it in its context to get a feel of what Paul, Paul is writing. Paul wrote this, sent it to him, and expected them to sit down and read it right then. He didn't expect that they would spend... 12 weeks going through the book. Um, he expected when that letter showed up in Philippi, it would get read aloud to everybody. So I would encourage you to do that every week, just in preparation for Sunday school. Um, so let's look this week at 12 through 18. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice." So, question for you this morning. What are you hungry for? What are you hungry for? It's a very fitting sermon this morning. Um, they, they grumbled and said, We are tired of this worthless food. They, they said that. We are tired of this worthless food, this worthless manna. God was sustaining them and providing for them. They went out daily, collected enough for each day except the day before the Sabbath, and they would collect enough for that day and the Sabbath so that they did not collect on the Sabbath. And they would go out and collect enough food for the day, and every morning when they woke up, it was out there on the ground, and it was, what is it? Literally, manna, what is it? And they got to the point where they grumbled about this worthless food. Would that we had died in Egypt. So... What are you hungry for? What do you what do you desire? And I would propose to you that what you are hungry for will show up in what you are satisfied with. What are you satisfied with? So think about that. And it's easy for me to find out because I, I get irritated and it's evident what I'm not satisfied with. Um, Things happen, life goes on, something comes up in our life, and the frustration hits, and all of a sudden I'm irritated. And that is an indicator of what I'm not satisfied with. What are you satisfied with? Paul is in prison for the gospel. He's writing a a letter to a church that he loves dearly. 
And, and I would go back and grab the context of Paul's projection, and as he's looking forward as he's writing this letter, he says, I am sure that he who began a good work in you will see it through to the completion in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. So put under the umbrella what you're getting ready to, to listen to. Under that, that idea that he is expecting as he's writing to the Philippians, because they're worried about him. And, and what's, the natural, what's the natural tendency when someone you love is afflicted? By somebody else. Men, it's defense. Hair on the back of our neck stands up, we're ready to defend. Paul's writing to them to, to calm them, I believe, in some effect, and to assure them and show them what he's satisfied in which tells us what he's hungry for. So, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. That would have been the natural fear. Is Paul's in prison, he can't spread the gospel. Paul's chained to a location, he can't go anywhere. We, we, in our own lives, we, we feel hindrances that come along. Um, it's, it's the biggest frustrating thing in construction where you feel like you've hit a day where you get nothing done. Something stops you, something slows the projected progress of your course, and you, and you just you lose it. You're not satisfied with what's going to happen that day. It's a frustrating day. Whatever work you're in, I'm sure everybody's reached that point where they've, they've hit this wall where something has come into, you had a projected course that you were going on, and then something happens, whether that's flat tire, flood, fire, whatever it may be, and all of a sudden... Bam. What you had planned stops. They felt that way. The Apostle Paul is in prison. Put a bench warmer like me in prison, for goodness sake, and leave the all-star out on the court, please. But no, Paul says, I want you to know that what has happened has actually served to advance the gospel. And look at the context. This is the beautiful context of it. So that what had become, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard. Don't, don't miss the fact that when God puts those roadblocks in your life, there is more important work that will probably be done because of your lack of completing what you desired initially. So if you had your initial plans, there was more, Paul is telling them, that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard. To, and to all the rest, that my imprisonment is for Christ. And, and look at the uh, result. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Without fear. I'm going to break this into the... You've got the two paragraphs here. We're looking at a double paragraph section. You've got the two paragraphs here. The first paragraph, we're just going to look at the roadblocks. What's going to happen in your life this week that's not going to go as planned will oftentimes show what you are hungry for or what you're satisfied with. So what you're satisfied with will show what you're hungry for. And and I'll tell you what, Paul, I think you know what it is, but we will expound later on in the next passage what exactly Paul was hungry for. So, first, 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 uh, first paragraph. Paul's writing to the Philippians, whom he loves, 
an, an encouraging letter. This is, if, if you haven't already been told this, if you haven't heard this before in your life, rejoice, 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 rejoice. It, it's again and again and again in Philippians. It is a joyous letter. This is not an E or faith. You've not been called to be the mumbling, grumbling, the frozen, chosen, the mopey people around the world. You are called to rejoice. Um, so, when the roadblocks hit in your life, that will show what you are hungry for by revealing what you're satisfied with. So, verse 15. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. Now, compound upon the fact that Paul's in prison, the next problem of the dissension that was going against Paul. Some indeed preach Christ from envy. Now, understand, Paul's addressing problems he knows about. Paul's gotten word from Philippi, there's problems. There's these people that don't like you. Paul says, Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to inflict me in my imprisonment. Paul, and you can take this for the gospel truth, because it's in the inspired scripture, Paul understood and knew that these people were preaching Christ to try to inflict him. Consider the depth of that, of that vitriol, of that, that, that malice. I'm using two words we don't use a whole lot because they're not worn out on you. Consider the depth of that, that the Apostle Paul's in prison and somebody is trying to actually cause him more trouble by preaching the gospel. Trying to inflict him greater discomfort. Now, put yourself in that position for just a second. How bitter are you? Church member. We're going to eat this one. We're going to love this one, guys. Church member. Sees you in a rough spot. Has seen you work for the gospel. Has seen you preach Christ. And is now seeing you in prison. And under the pretense of being a godly person is trying to cause you trouble. Under the pretense, they're preaching out of envy. They're not preaching out of godliness. Understand that. This is a rebellion against God. And in their rebellion against God, they are labeling it the worship of God. This is the golden calf again in the wilderness. When they made the calf, it wasn't this whole separate religion they made up. They said, look, Yahweh, who delivered you out of Egypt, when they looked at the golden calf. These people are underneath the gospel, proclaiming the gospel purposely and thinking themselves to be doing godly work to cause Paul difficulty. They're preaching Christ out of envy. Put yourself in that situation for a second. Are you bitter? What are you hungry for? Are you hungry for the approval of men? Comfortable life? What are you satisfied with? Look at Paul. What then? 
And I'll ask you this. Was Paul bitter? Was Paul bitter? And that's why I'll tell you, read through Philippians over and over again, and it'll answer that question easily for you. Paul was full of joy. And he was writing to them, I'm in jail. I've suffered these different things. I'll tell you again, rejoice. Was Paul bitter? No, he was not. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. What was he satisfied with? What what he was hungry for showed up in what he was satisfied with. It wasn't the love of himself. It wasn't his status. The danger is, when an attack happens against us, and the offense occurs, and we bristle up, we're showing that we're not satisfied with ourselves being degraded. But we have to stop ourselves and ask ourselves, is that the faith we've been called to? Was Paul bitter? No. Why? Because what he was hungry for was not the approval of men. Soli Deo Gloria. Soli Deo Gloria. To God alone be the glory. Paul did not need the glory. Paul's thirst was for the glory of God to be shown through the proclamation of Christ. Uh, In Numbers, the bronze serpent was lifted up as a precursor to Christ being lifted up on the cross. And everyone who looked at the bronze servant that was bitten by the snakes was healed. Simple as that. Look to the serpent. If you've heard the story of, of Spurgeon's conversion, it was a layman that had to preach at the time, and he, he was preaching out of John 3 when the, the bronze serpent lifted up, and it said that he had to stick to the text because he had little more to offer. And it was, look to Christ. Look to Christ. As the bronze serpent was lifted up in the wilderness, so Christ was lifted up. And just as you, all you had to do to the serpent was look to the serpent, it's look to Christ and live. That's Paul's hunger, that Christ is lifted up so that people might live. It's, it's for God's glory, for God's glory alone. It's not that he be lifted up. So ask yourself, what are you hungry for? Now, what does this show us about ourselves? Do you assume, so this is, this is going to affect, and this is interesting in the context we're in, if you consider the troubles we've been through, or more, more so y'all than me, how is our view of the brothers and sisters that we disagree with? How, do, are we holding on to bitterness? Or family members? Specifically, I'm speaking here of other believers. Other Christians. Because if an unbeliever offends you, you shouldn't let it bother you because you should expect them to act like unbelievers. It it bothers us most when people we trust and love and believe are Christians hurt us. How is your heart regarding brothers and sisters in the faith? What are you hungry for? I would ask, do you assume you're saved? Um, I don't say that to 
question your salvation from my point of view. I'll tell you from my point of view, um, for me, that's a question I ask myself. I don't want to assume I'm saved. I don't want to ever walk on the ground that says I have no reason to ever question my faith. And I say that because we're called to examine ourselves to see whether or not we're in the faith. I've given the example before that children oftentimes as they're growing up, they, they look to this idea of being treated like an adult. I want to be treated like an adult. Quit watching everything I do. Treat me like an adult. And I give the example of, okay, well, that's, that's fine. Adults are treated by their actions. That's why some are in jail and some are in mental institutions. So fine, we'll treat you like an adult. We're going to judge you by your actions. So for me, I don't want to ever assume, I don't want to live the next 10, 15, 20 years of my life with the assumption that I am saved. I want to watch everything that I do because I don't want to be like those in the wilderness. That is, is was said, eh, not that God. That's the first step. Eh, and understand, these people still assume they were the people of God. They still assume they were saved. They still assume they knew Yahweh. As the calf was molded, they assumed they were worshiping Yahweh. I don't ever want to assume I'm saved. I ask that because... The reason why we come to passages like this, and, I, and I, I thought about the Eeyore idea of our faith, is because it's easy for me to fall into that, that, that idea of woe is me, or just I'll have my pity, pitiful whiny days. But that's not what we're called to. That's not what our, our life is supposed to look like as those who are a temple of the Holy Spirit. So when we talk about redemption, when we talk about the redeeming power of the Spirit, I want you to apply it to your emotions. I want you to apply it to any bitterness you have against brothers or sisters. And I want you to know that that redemption is applicable in all those situations. Christ can redeem the emotions. Christ is Lord of all. Christ can redeem those relationships, whatever bitterness is there. Not called to endure, just endure. I want you to think about that for a second, because there's many people that... You've heard the expression, well, I'm just bearing my cross, you know, and just moving on. You're not just called to endure. Understand that. We are supposed to endure. But it's not just at the point of endure and then I can be mopey and grumble. We're called to rejoice. We are called to rejoice. I have to remind myself of that. It doesn't come natural for John in the flesh to rejoice. Whatever goes wrong, whether it's a bolt breaking, a board splitting the toilet backing up, whatever it is. I don't naturally rejoice. I have to remind myself, as Paul's reminding them, what are we hungry for? And know that will show up in what we're satisfied with. We are called to rejoice. What this points to, and the, and the reason why this is so important, and I say don't, quest, don't, don't ever get to the point where you automatically assume you're saved, is the kind of faith we're called to is not an outward compliance. Understand that. 
The kind of faith we're called to is not just an outward compliance. Flip over to Romans chapter 6. Starting in verse 15. And this, the funny thing is, we typically don't apply this passage to bitterness. Or a bad attitude. Or just grumpiness. Or just being Eeyore. We typically don't apply this passage to, to just being Eeyore. Just being negative. So I'm just normally you know, kind of a negative person. I'm a pessimist. Glass is always half empty. And we won't apply that to it. We'll apply this passage to a raging alcoholic or a drug addict or a prostitute. But I want you to consider, there's not a specified sin listed here. Starting in verse 15. What then... Are we to continue to sin? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourself to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one to whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? Now I want you to substitute in there the bitterness and joy we've been talking about. If we as believers submit ourselves to bitterness and turn ourselves away from joy, that leads to death just as fast, just as quickly as any other heinous sin you can think about out there. That leads to death. Bitterness, just a a grumbling. You can go to your grave in the church choir grumbling and complaining and end up in hell. As Bunyan said at the end of Pilgrim's Progress, he realized there was a way from the gates of the early city that led straight to hell. There were people that showed up at the gate and were denied entrance. They say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do many mighty things in your name? So, but thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, that includes the worry, the fear, the anxiety, the bitterness, having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations, for just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification." We are called to an obedience from the heart. Called to rejoice. And I know it's hard. I'm not, I'm not, and don't, please don't hear me as saying the next time something tragic happens in your life that I'm wondering why you're not rejoicing. No, we're, we, we do have times of mourning. We do have times of pain and sorrow. And we give those to Christ. We offer that up to Christ. And we rejoice that Christ is exalted. So, what are you a slave to? What are you a slave to? I would ask you, what is the goal of the gospel? And I'll say that because good churchy folks can become a slave 
to the church in a way that doesn't glorify God. I'll go back. What is the goal of the gospel? Because there were those preaching the gospel out of envy and rivalry. It's not that hard. It's not too far of a step from the pulpit to the point where you're preaching the gospel in a way that is not glorifying God. Now, we still rejoice. Now, admittedly, we rejoice that the sailors that Jonah was sailing with were saved. Jonah's disobedience was heinous. Praise God, he's able to use all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. But woe to the one by whom it comes. Understand, the goal of the gospel is the glory of God. To glorify God. So it wasn't wasn't just that the gospel was being proclaimed, but it is God was being glorified because Christ is being exalted. The exaltation of Christ. And in that, Paul rejoiced. That was what he was hungry for. And he proved it because that's what he was satisfied with. He was able to see the fruit that God was using in the difficult time of his life. And he was able to call the Philippians to rejoicing with him. And so, for us, what are we hungry for? Because we, to be honest, we sit in a dangerous place where if this church exploded, every one of us is going to face the temptation of self-righteousness and preaching the gospel for the wrong reason. So we got to ask ourselves, what are we hungry for? And Christ, and, and, and I say this because for, for His glory, every bitterness, whether that be with me with my parents, whether that be us with anybody else, other believers, whatever wrongs we face, we should take that to Christ, knowing Christ is there to redeem every aspect of our life, where we don't live in bitterness, to where we're called to rejoice. So, questions? I talk too much, I know. Sorry. Any questions? Clear? Tama, first. Sorry. How do you rejoice in Christ being exalted when you don't see how he's being exalted? Or if you see him not being exalted through a tragedy? I w- wouldn't rejoice in him not being exalted. Right. Yeah. But he would be in some way, probably, but you just can't see it. Or... Well, there is. So, yeah. <laughs> every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Um, Paul knew that, but yet his heart's desire was that his brothers might be saved, his kinsmen according to the flesh. Um, so you do have a you do have a, a sadness or a lamentation. I think lamentation is absolutely biblical. I don't say that just because the book's named Lamentations, but there is a there is a time to lament. Um, what I'm basically rejo- uh, addressing here is don't stay in that ditch. 
So don't stay in that ditch. Because we, I mean, it's the the woe is me or the, the bitterness ditch is easy to sit in. You get a lot of company there, honestly. You, you can you can dance around in that mud and get all kinds of people down there with you and everybody, it becomes a, a bitterness fest and we just we just dig in our heels and sit there and gripe and complain. And I, we, I, I've seen seen the the death that's a result of that. It's just a death of joy. It's a death of hope. Um, it's a man-centered and not a God-centered way to live. So, is that that answer the question? Sorry. Yeah. Okay. Go ahead. Um, considerably, so are they a believer, yes or no? Um, and if somebody claims to be a believer, the best advice I've heard is treat them like it until they get so tired of being treated like a believer, they reject it. Um, so feed them Scripture, 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 Scripture. Um, exalt Christ. Um, point them to the hope. So we're going through the preaching book right now, um, or just started it. But the, the idea of, okay, there's the ideological, there's the reality, so... Ideally, I should be rejoicing in every situation, and in, in glorifying Christ. I should, I should, I should look to Christ. I don't. So here, here's where Christ is redeeming that. I'm living in sanctification right now, and then there's the hope. There's the the eschatological view, the the the, the look that Christ is victor. Um, death has been defeated. Um, so there's plenty of hope to point them at. Um, so there's a there's the and the idea this has gone the argument has gone back and forth for probably over a year now the the difference between empathy and sympathy um, don't jump down in the pit with them and say woe is us sympathize with somebody who's in a hard time yes you have see, yes I have my failings yes I'm I'm drawn to this sin uh, your sin may not be one that you're naturally bitter uh, your sin may not be one that you're naturally depressed I mean there's a spectrum of sins um, and so. But understand that we all have besetting sins that have, have plagued us, that Christ is working out of us. And hopefully that's the fruit we see is the fruit of sanctification coming. Um, and so call that person to rejoice, um, but also all things to all people. Understand you're not going to run into somebody's hospital room after somebody else died. and you know, You're going to come alongside them. You're going to bear one of those burdens and so fulfill the law of love. So you mourn with those who mourn, weep with those who weep, rejoice with those who rejoice. And I think you can, I think most, now obviously every situation you can pick apart, but the majority of us can tell when somebody's stuck in a ditch. Like I said, that's not what I'm rejoicing, that's not what I'm pointing out here. Is uh, I'm not pointing out the times where we do mourn and we come out and rejoice. And I'm talking about those who are stuck in a ditch. That's what, yeah. Thankfulness, yes. So I, that to me, that is how you get out. Absolutely. Of that is start listing what you are thankful for, what God has provided. Because we live in such a yeah. self-entitled society, we think that we are 
everything that I have is what I'm already owed, and mm-hmm. since I don't have more than that, yeah, obviously I'm being mistreated at that point. Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah, the sarcastic way is to just say, just to go up to somebody and say, yeah, man, it could not get any worse than it is now. That's a sarcastic way to approach it. It's like, so if somebody's in that ditch and they've been in that ditch for months and they refuse to get out of bitterness, they refuse to let it go, just drop down in there and say, yep, your life's as bad as it could ever be. Most people know it's not. So. I think the greatest thing we have to be thankful for is the gospel. So it goes back mm-hmm. to what we learned this morning is what gospel are we preaching? Yeah yeah and that goes back to what is your what are you hungry for are you hungry for the glory of god because calvin calvin said even if he wasn't elect god would still be glorified and that he could rejoice (laughs) even if he wasn't elect so yeah what are you hungry for and that's where that's where pointing that's where it's it's it sounds over simplistic but just tell them look to christ Look to Christ. Some, some people that have helped me so much in my life, we tend to get in an issue. I tend to get in an issue. I say we because I want you to join me. <laughs> I tend to get in an issue, and I can't see outside that issue. I can't see outside the difficulty. I can't see outside the problem. And the simplest things people have told me before is just, you know, just give that to Christ. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I know, but you don't understand. It's like, no, 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 give that to Christ. It's like, yeah, but this is going on. No, 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 you just give that to Christ. It's like, okay. So point it, keep pointing them to Christ. Look to Christ. Look to Christ. Look to Christ. God is faithful. God is faithful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We're so bad, I think, as believers to greet each other with, how are you doing? Oh, yeah. Yeah. But we don't actually care. Yeah. 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 And so, in Paul's situation, one of the things that you can look at, and I would, I would encourage you to look at the providence of God in such a way that it transects most of your, most of your decisions and most of your desires. Um, or your plans, I should not say desires, most of your plans, um, is your life's a pizza and God's cutting wheel is coming across it and you don't know when it's getting ready to hit. So if God has put somebody in your life to where you've got a situation that's arisen, be like Paul. Don't get frustrated about the fact that you've just been put into prison, and I'm going to metaphorically call it prison because you're all of a sudden just you're chained to this person. Except, and that's the hard part, except that you've just been chained to this person. It might not have been the person you were going to be chained to. It might not have been the situation you wanted to deal with for the next week it might not, or the year. But understand that in God's providence, here you are. What can you do? So what are you satisfied with? What, what, are, you, what are you hungry for? In that situation, exalt Christ. Lead that person to exalt Christ? Because ask yourself, is God worthy of that person's love and devotion? Yes. God's worthy of that person praising Him. So lead that person to praise God, to be thankful. Uh, Thank you for bringing up the thankfulness. That is the sin in Romans 1 that leads to the heinousness of sin. They did not give thanks to God. Although the things of God are plain, they did not give thanks to God. 
somebody is experiencing calamity and it doesn't affect them, should we perceive that as there's something wrong? Ecclesiastes tells us there's a, a time to laugh and a time to cry and a time to sing and a time to weep. But yeah. I've come across people that, well, their car broke down, their wife left it, and the dog died, and you know, it doesn't bother them. Yeah. Uh, so why? Yeah. The, you, well, why doesn't it bother them? Um, it's because their car wasn't that nice. Their dog used to used to pee on the couch all the time, and their wife nagged them all the time. So why why is it? Why does it not bother them? That would be the question. You know, that's that's where. Uh, and, and and don't 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 mistake the fact that one of the processes of grief is denial. There will be plenty of people that will not look sad on the outside that are. Or a wreck on the inside, so. Um, Should we recognize that? And try to you know, guide them through that. I, and I, I would say that's where the Holy Spirit, prayer, and the Holy Spirit and God's Word apply all three of those to that situation. And I believe God is faithful and will guide you. So that's that would be my that would be my response to that is prayer. God's word, and then, and and also seeking other counsel. I do that a lot too. I go to other people and say, "Am I nuts?" <laughs> Just you examine this situation. Am I nuts? So, um, yeah. That answer that. Mostly. Yeah, yeah. It's a, that that would be an odd situation, and my question would be, why are they not mourning? Um, there could be several answers for that. One, because that's how they're dealing with it. That is their way of mourning is denial. Um, so, any other questions? Okay.